You're listening to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. I'm Lee Keller, joined by John Kuh. Today, we'll be talking about starting pitchers. We'll be going over the top 50 of Nick Pollock's top 100 starting pitchers for 2023 list and giving some of our opinions on them. Later on, we'll be joined by pitcherless writer Nate Schwartz to talk about using PLV to find starting pitcher sleepers in your drafts. Now, before we get into that, John, how's everything going? The WBC finale was incredible. Japan versus USA delivered beyond expectations. Did you get to catch that game? Yeah, I was actually busy that day, which was the unfortunate part. Uh, but I luckily had a friend text me telling me that um, Otani was coming up to pitch in the night. So I literally drove into the parking lot of a Target and just watched the last half inning on my phone. And it was it was sick. Yeah, well, that's crazy that you had to do all that to watch the game. That's wild. But that's how important <laughs> that situation is, that you will literally go anywhere and pull aside to bring it up and watch it. Because, I mean... Something like that, Otani versus Trout, does not happen often. I mean, obviously, Otani's a free agent after the season and might go mm-hmm. somewhere and they might face each other every now and then. But to see it on that kind of stage, where it's Otani versus Trout for the championship in a 3-2 count, top of the ninth, two outs, it's just pretty insane that that's how it really went down. You can't script it any better than that. No, you really can't. I mean, it, it, maybe maybe the only way you could have scripted better was if like somehow... Uh, either Jeff McNeil or, or Mookie had scored a run, and so it literally would be down to, um, you know, Trout trying to hit Homer or something to to win the game. But, um, you know, I think it's still it's still I still would have prefer I think I still prefer Otani getting the save to finish the game. That's just a much more fun storyline. Yeah, it's just actually insane to see how well this tournament performed and how incredible it's spread over Twitter and. Everyone's talking about baseball right now. I mean, even an interview with Connor McDavid, a hockey player, and I don't follow hockey at all either, but he was interviewed and he was like, yeah, baseball is doing it right. Like everyone's talking about the Trout versus Otani matchup and it's exciting. People are talking about it. So this really generated so much hype around baseball going into the season. It's just incredible to see because that's what the purpose of it is to give a global recognition to baseball and to shine a light on it that maybe some fans don't really see yeah there, there was actually a really fun tweet that was put out today by um it was a pitcher out in australia uh i can't remember his name off the top of my head but he basically did like a voiceover of of him when he was pitching um to shohei otani in one of their um in one of their group games uh and i just think like how fun that would be if like you know you're a kid and you know who Shohei Otani is, but you don't really know any of the pitchers from your own country. You know, if you're from Australia, and then you this this guy, you know, has this voiceover, this at bat where he strikes at Otani, and um, I don't know, maybe that inspires you to to pick up baseball yourself because of, of the hope that one day you could even reach a world stage where you can you know be playing against some of the best players in the world. Yeah, I mean, Australia is not a humongous baseball place, you would think. And the fact that a pitcher from Australia who's not a baseball player, essentially, he's not a professional baseball player, at least, struck out the best player in the world. So pretty cool stuff. I think that it's such a good thing for baseball. Obviously, we had that weak stretch where everyone was like, oh, no, shut it down, injuries. But mm-hmm. 
I mean, are you kidding me? This is some of the most electric and fun baseball that I've seen in a long time. And man, it's just so cool that this sport is in full flow right now. Yeah, completely. It, it definitely was a good way to get us ready for the the major league season. But in the same way, like you, you get to see some players like, like uh, for example, Sasaki, who's the the starting pitcher for Japan. Yep. Um, this kid's a absolute wonder kind. Like, and the thing is, he's probably not going to come over to the U.S. to play in the majors and for another five years. So just being able to see, you know, like kind of the talent that that is across the world that you know we might not be able to see in the majors for the next few years. It's just a it's just a fun opportunity to to check that out. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's really cool. Like I said at the beginning of the tournament when we covered it on the podcast that you get to see these guys that you normally would never see and what mm-hmm. you can expect for people in the Japanese leagues coming over to the U.S. Like Sasaki is incredible. And a lot of those pitchers looked incredible on Team Japan. So mm-hmm. it is a really yeah. cool concept on that. And obviously for anyone who didn't know, Team Japan did beat Team USA 3-2. to It was an incredible game. I watched every second of it while I was at Bowling League. I was upset that it was on a Tuesday because I had to go bowl and I couldn't watch it with sound and everything, but I did watch every single second of the game and it was exciting and pretty cool to say that Jeff McNeil had the best at-bat against Shohei Otani. That's true. He did get on base. He did. He did. It was a great walk. I mean, to take that last that pitch was incredible. All four was, yeah, I'm impressed that he took that. that yeah, that was, was like a close pitch. Centimeters below the, 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 the strike zone. Yeah, it was a ballsy take and McNeil walked away with that walk. So mm-hmm. yeah, big ups to the WBC. It was incredible. Loved watching that. And besides that, it's pretty much draft week, I would say. I think everyone's yeah. leagues are either drafting this upcoming weekend or last weekend. Like that was the two real draft times that people are drafting. I have my home league draft on Sunday and I have two drafts coming up. Do you have any drafts coming up, John? Uh, I I am in a couple drafts right now. Uh, I'm in my pitcherless staff league draft. Um, just, I think we're in round 21 now, so pretty much done with that. Uh, I am in another fun fun draft where it's actually a combination of football, baseball, and basketball fantasy. Oh, cool. Um, and so you're you're basically drafting for all three leagues in one draft, and it's it's kind of nuts and insane. And for someone who's like you know into basically all three of those sports. Uh, like I am it's a really interesting sort of um, metric and like you know how do you weight value across you know three different leagues it's already hard enough I think if it, when it comes to just baseball by itself but um, three different leagues is kind of crazy but I did also have my home auction draft last weekend and that was that was pretty fun yeah that's the best home league drafts are always the most fun for sure but that league sounds really interesting that you're in like are you drafting that right now yes I'm in it right now I mean I, I think I'm in round I think I'm in round 10 right now. It's it's kind of crazy because um, you're literally try, trying to figure out, like, do I pick a basketball player here? Do I pick a football yeah. player here? Do so, I pick a baseball player here? Yeah. As a quick thing, like, if you can, the first round, how did that look? What is the typical first round? Like, who went where? Like, does Judge go yeah. one overall? <laughs> What's, what is that? Well, so the interesting thing about this league is it's also a keeper league. Okay. And it's a forever keep league, so to speak. Oh, um, okay. But if you draft someone in the first three rounds – you have to let them go. Oh. Um, but that also means that guys who had really good value, like Judge last year, where Judge was not being taken in, you know, let's just say the top six picks usually in a, in a first round draft, right? He was kind of, um, he was kind of maybe in the second round. He was getting picked up in the second round a lot now, I think, major league in, in baseball drafts last year. Right. So the person who picked Judge last year, I believe in, let's see, um, Judge was picked last year in the... 
uh, in the ninth round. Wow. Ninth round. Ninth round, right? So he got kept in the ninth round. Right, yeah, yeah. For this draft, which is incredible value. Um, and so this league is also with a lot of with, with pitcherless people. So um, naturally, I think we all think we can draft baseball later yeah right get the value maximum there right exactly so we want to get to get uh football and and basketball out of the way so in the first round we it you know 12 teamer first round two baseball players got picked um four basketball players got picked and six football players got picked wow Um, and so the first baseball player taken was trey turner in the ninth pick of the first round okay and then joe ram was the second baseball player taken in the 11th pick in the first round so wow so who was first very, overall? Very interesting values. Yeah, first overall was Christian McCaffrey. Oh, okay, okay. Um, he's a football player for those of you who aren't familiar with that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. That's that sounds really fun and very interesting. That's really like, what's the scoring format, real quick, if you want to tell us, and then we'll get into it. Yeah, the way that I understand it is basically you're you're in a head-to-head league for all three leagues, um, and then your finishing position at the end of the season is kind of, you know, put into a points total, so to speak. You know, okay. like first place gets 12 points, second place gets 11, so on and so forth. And then so the winner of this whole fantasy uh, league is just the person who amasses the most points um, across the three leagues. Oh, okay. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting format. I literally just joined it this year, and um, I am very excited to see how it all shakes out because this will be literally a season-long draft because um, basketball season is wrapping up right now. Right. Anyways, with that being said, the drafts are all coming, everybody, and we hope you have a great draft and get a good team and do well this season, but we got to get into today's show. So before we get into the heart of the episode, I'd like to remind all of you that you could follow our podcast on Twitter at ThisWeekPL, and you could send us your fantasy baseball questions to our email at ThisWeekPLPod at gmail.com. Lastly, make sure that you subscribe to or follow the podcast on whatever streaming platform that you listen to your podcasts on, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, we're on all of them, so make sure that you subscribe to the podcast and leave a five-star review if you enjoy listening to us. But... As we said earlier, for today's podcast, we're going through Nick's top 50. We're going to do 51. We're breaking the rules a little bit. Pitchers, giving out opinions on who we like, who we think should be lowered, hired, and how you should approach pitchers this draft season, depending on the categories in your league. So now before we get into this list, which we'll break down by tiers, a few notes on how Nick puts this list together in case you aren't familiar with it. This is probably one of the most, I would say, important articles that goes on Pitcher List. We have so much good content there, but... Everyone always looks forward to Nick Pollock's top 100 starting pitchers for whatever the season is. And this is a big list here. So the assumed format for the list is five by five, head to head, 12 teams. So make sure that you gear your league around that. If it's like that, then you can judge this list pretty straightforward. If not, you have to tinker it a little bit. And then also it's pre-opening day. Guys on the IL are included. And since they still might be worth picking up in your drafts, they're put onto the list so those are just a few notes before we get into the list that are included for that just so you have some background information now starting with tier one we have three pitchers we've got Garrett Cole at number one Corbin Burns at number two Sandy Alcantara at number three John how do you feel about those three would you change the order of any of them or is that just nitpicking I think it's kind of nitpicking um to me Cole being number one makes a lot of sense in five by five formats okay. because of the wins. Um, Burns and Sandy just simply aren't going to get the same amount of wins that that um, Garrett Cole's going to get. And 
even if the stuff is as good, right? Even if they're getting around the same number of strikeouts and, um, you know, ERA and whip and all that, like Cole gets, Cole gets the advantage because of the wins. Um, that That's basically it. The other thing too, that's interesting, which I didn't realize until this year is that Sandy kind of struggles with getting strikeouts, like not yep. s- struggles a ton, but he doesn't strike out guys as much as other premier pitchers do. So him being third in this tier to me, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so I also have Sandy at three in my rankings. I do have Corbin Burns and Garrett Cole flipped. Now, once mm. again, that's just nitpicking, really. I mean, I think Corbin Burns has a chance of having a lower ERA and whip, while Garrett mm. Cole has a few more strikeouts, maybe, and definitely the better win total. So right. it's whatever you like to gear your stuff around. If I'm taking an ace, I kind of want Corbin Burns' ERA and whip over Garrett Cole's, just in case. But... Yep. For the wins, I completely understand. Whether you take Cole or Burns, I think you're going to be fine at number one. And Sandy's incredible, but like you said, those strikeouts kind of fluctuate because his strikeouts mainly result on volume, not because he's a strikeout pitcher. Right, exactly. It. The other inter- interesting thing to note here, and I mean, I don't really want to get into this conversation too much because it's the top three pitchers. There's no right. real reason to talk too much about it. There is kind of the whole rumor that like the Yankees had a little bit more juice balls at their games over the course of last season which could have resulted in um, why Garrett Cole's home run rate was so high. Yep. Um, he had a 1.48 home run per nine rate compared to Burns with a 1.02. So basically half a home run more right. each game. Now that all being said, it's not that weird. That's not even the highest mark that Cole's had in his career. Um, he had a 1.73 home run per nine in 2020. Granted, shorted season. That was weird. Um during the rabbit era, he he had a 1.23 home run per nine. So he actually had a lower home run per nine rate in the rabbit ball season. Um, that's just been an issue with Cole um, in Yankee Stadium specifically, too. So um, there's maybe some explanation for it. But yeah, generally, if you're, if you're trying to get, if you value ERA more, you probably should go Burns. Yeah, I agree with that as well completely. And Garrett Cole hasn't really pitched in the most favorable pitching parks, right? I mean, Houston Astros Stadium, Minute Maid, band box to left field, Yankee Stadium, same thing, right field. So he's had some bad luck with that. But yeah, his home run per nine is a little sketchy. But regardless, he is an ace and worthy of your number one pick for pitchers. Moving on to tier two from Nick Pollock's list. We have Shane McClanahan at four, Brandon Woodruff at five, Justin Verlander at six, Aaron Nola at seven, Spencer Strider at eight, Shohei Otani at nine, and Luis Castillo at 10. How do we feel about this tier, John? I feel pretty good about it. Shane Mack is one of those guys where I am a little worried about durability. Um, The stuff is clearly there. He is some of the best stuff in, in this list. Um, and it the Rays are going to let him probably go six this year. I, I don't see a reason for them not to let him go six. Um, so to me, he he is kind of like borderline that that pushing into that top three. The only pitcher here where I'm a little concerned is Spencer Strider. Okay. Um, not because I don't believe the hype, uh, but it, to me there were some interesting things with his arm at the end of the season last year where he was losing a lot of velocity right as in his later starts um he's picked it up again in spring training so it, it, he hasn't really shown that he's lost any real velocity in spring training so maybe that's a good sign but usually when when fastball velocity drops like that 
the the easiest explanation is um something injury wise um and i'm not saying that strider is injured but uh in in the event that you know maybe he did something to his arm at the end of last season maybe the off season helped him rest it up but as soon as he gets back to you know that velocity and in pitching um you know six inning games and things like that there's a there's some injury risk there that I kind of want to avoid. Also, being rookie of the year, sometimes it's just sometimes I think that your sophomore year is just is tough to is a tough act to follow. So I I feel personally that he's ranked a little high here. I also agree with you, which is it's funny. I don't like to just agree nonchalantly <laughs> with everything, but I have in my personal ranking Spencer Strider at fourteen, and. Mm. That's exactly because of what you said. I don't really like buying in, even though he is elite. I mean, his stuff is disgusting. We all know that. Yes, completely. But I don't like buying in on that guy for his second year at his highest price ever, no matter what the situation is. So, Mm -hmm. like, even Julio Rodriguez going four overall, like, sure, he's great. He's amazing. But I need to see it twice, mainly. I mean, and that's shame on me, kind of. But I'd like to see it twice before I'm ready to pay that high of a price. You know, I'm passing up on Trey Turner to get Julio Rodriguez. I don't really see why, you know what I mean? Like, that's the hard part for that. And with me, Spencer Strider, I don't feel comfortable putting him in the top 10. And like you said, he's not injured, but when your arm kind of tails off a little bit like that, when you're losing velocity, he might not be geared up to throw 160 or 180 innings quite yet. And when I'm drafting an ace in this kind of range, I want that depth. I want that guarantee that hey he's probably going to go 180 to 200 as long as he's healthy the whole season mm-hmm. and I can't guarantee that out of Strider because he was just building up from a reliever last season to become a starter and I just don't know how much I trust it especially because the Braves went into the postseason they used him there too so he got a lot of work in and I feel kind of shaky about that for the rest of tier two though I have Shane at four as well I think Shane when he's healthy he's probably one of the nastiest pitchers in baseball mm-hmm. disgusting stuff I have Nola and Woodruff flipped, actually, too. And that's kind of nitpicking as well. I just think Nola's on a better team, more wins. I think Nola's volume is just a little bit better. But I love both of those guys, so I really don't care where you put them. And then Justin Verlander, I have in that exact spot as well. But I kind of have him partnered with Max Scherzer. So it's interesting. We'll get into Scherzer when we get there. But it's yep. interesting where he is compared to Verlander. The the, the real kind of maybe factor that all these pitchers have in this tier is that there is some inherent injury risk with every single one of these right. guys. Um, I talk about Shane, uh, Brandon Woodruff last year was dealing with gray nose yep. uh, where he was, you know, losing feeling in his arm and uh, you know, apparently he's healthy now. His second half looked really, really good. So I, I would love to buy in on Woodruff more in my opinion, but I, yep. I generally avoid, you know, these ace pitchers in my drafts. Verlander, obviously somewhat of an ageless wonder, but he is, 40 plus at this yep. point and he is coming off you know i think what two years removed from tommy john now there's a little bit of risk there yeah and i mean i think out of this list these tier two guys nola mm-hmm. otani and castillo are the most non-injury risk guys yeah mm-hmm. the rest yep. of them are real you know at any point something could happen mcclanahan's exactly. arm's been an issue verlander's older mm-hmm. like you said strider yep. we don't know so tier two some injury risk but tier three is where we get into even more injury risk and I agree. I actually have Jacob DeGrom, who starts off Tier 3 here in the same exact spot, 11. And I've put DeGrom at rank 0. If he's healthy a whole season, even if I get 150 innings out of DeGrom, he's the best pitcher in baseball. So he's 0 or 1. I actually wrote that in my notes for my rankings. I wrote 
Number 11, Jacob deGrom, if healthy, tier zero. So (laughs) that's what I personally write. But tier three, we've got Jacob deGrom at 11, Zach Wheeler at 12, Max Scherzer at 13, Max Fried at 14, Christian Javier at 15, Kevin Gosman at 16, and Julio Urias at 17. John, what about this tier? So I have to admit, I have a soft spot in my heart for Zach Wheeler. Um, sure you do as well. Yep. And to me, there was a there was a really funny tweet that um, Alex Chamberlain of Fangraphs fame put out last year. I mean, he's kind of a ton in cheek with his his fantasy baseball takes, but in some respects, he was kind of correct with this one, which was um, number of innings pitched last year is the best indicator for how many innings you'll pitch this year. Yep. Number of innings pitched last year also is a good indicator for your how injury prone you will be this year. Yeah, fair. Basically, pitching a lot of innings means you'll likely pitch a lot of innings next year, but pitching a lot of innings also means you have a lot more injury risk. Right. And that's what happened to Wheeler last year, where he did get injured. And normally this guy who is, you know, an absolute workhorse, um, just, you know, a guy that you could rely in day in, day out, um, ended up getting hurt. Now, mind you, it wasn't like he was out for the entire season, sort of hurt. Like, he was still, you know, a reasonably solid contributor to most fantasy teams. Um, the only problem was, instead of pitching 200 innings, he only pitched 150, right? Right. Um, the numbers were still great, though, right? 2.82 ERA. Uh, his whip was his whip was 1.04. Like, great numbers, just only 150 innings of it. Right. I kind of want to put him above into Tier 2 only because I think that durability is going to come back. Um, but that's that's just, I don't know, that's just something that that's a little nitpicky there. Yeah, well, in my personal rankings, as I told you, I have Spencer Strider at 14. I have Zach Wheeler mm-hmm. at 8. He's in my Tier 2. Oh, there you go. So, yeah. you know, that's exactly, I feel the same way about that as you. Like, I think he's yeah. right behind Nola. I think he's going to give us more length this season. I, I think he's a great mm-hmm. pitcher. Yeah. The the other two maybe that I'm interested in talking about a little bit more, Christian Javier is one of those guys where I don't know what to expect from him. Yeah. Like, I know he's good, but I don't know if he can keep this going. Um, last year, he only pitched only pitched 140 innings, 148 mm-hmm. innings, sorry. Um, and he did start the season in relief, too. So there, there was a little bit of a weird thing there going on there. Um, the Astros are clearly going to lean on him this year. Uh, but the question is, is he going to be fully stretched out for the entire season? Um, yeah, and with that two-pitch mix as well, he's pretty much like Spencer Strider. Like, the difference between them are very minuscule. Like, Sp- Strider probably has a little bit more nastier stuff, mm-hmm. but Javier is very good in that regard. And once again, I don't like paying this price for someone who's only done it once and is just being stretched out now. Yeah, he's never pitched more than he pitched last season. Right, exactly. Innings. Um, so even though the the ratios are great... Um, obviously the strikeout numbers are great. 11.74 K per nine, um, is, is incredible. But if you only get 150 innings of it, I mean, this is kind of, again, that, that, that question of health, right? If you only get 150 innings of it, is it worth it? Right. It might be if the ratios are that good. Um, and then the other guy I want to talk about is Kevin Gaussman, who I, I love Kevin Gaussman. I, in my opinion, I'd, I'd raise him up here. I don't know how high I'd raise him, but I'd like him higher. I'd maybe put him above Max Fried, maybe at, at 13 or something like that. Um, but with Gaussman, he was incredibly unlucky last year. Um, and he had basically the highest BABIP in the majors, uh, which is incredible for a guy you think of of Kevin Gaussman's um, caliber. 
Now, I don't know if, you know, Toronto didn't really upgrade their defense that much. Um, I know they brought in, uh, they, they brought in Matt Chapman last year as a trade, and everyone's like, oh, they have, like, great defense out at third base. Um, and, you know, th- this year they didn't really do too much in terms of bringing in more guys that are everyday sort of players um, right. in the infield. So I don't know if that's really going to help them on the defensive front. But I have to believe that 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 last year was a complete outlier for Gaussman and that he's able to turn around this yeah. year again his, and be back to his normal self. His BABIP was so inflated that it's just ridiculous. That's an outlier. Like, that doesn't mm-hmm. happen normally. And I'm also a huge Gaussman fan, which is it's funny because we are agreeing on more stuff than I even realized that we agreed on that. <laughs> yeah, <yes>. Like, <laughs> I'm waiting for a disagreement. The viewers are probably like, this guy just agrees with everything he says. Right. But, I'll let you go first next time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, for me, I, I love Gaussman, and I had him in pretty much every year last year because I felt like he came at such a discount. And I think he's coming at a mm-hmm. discount again this season. Oh, completely. Yeah. So I love jumping on his value. I also have him higher than Nick has him mm-hmm. too, higher than Max Fried, of course. So yeah, I, I like this tier. This is a tier where I like to to get in on at least. Like I, I don't mind grabbing my ace here where mm-hmm. it's Gosman or Scherzer or Freed. Like I like those guys. Like Javier, I won't go for my ace. DeGrom, I'm a little bit more risk averse, so I won't go for him. But yeah. I'll take Wheeler, Freed, Gosman, or Scherzer as my ace any day of the week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the other name here too, Freed... Freed is just such a boring guy, but so good. In like in the best way possible. Yeah. Right. Yep. Like hundred last year, hundred eighty five innings, fourteen wins. Uh, the caper time wasn't great, eight point two six, but it's, it's still serviceable. Two point four eight ERA, um, two point seven FIP, which is interesting, um, considering what's happening in their defense this year. Right. Uh, I, I'm not saying that all of a sudden you know there's going to be a lot more balls going through the infield, but when you lose like. Uh, as good of a defensive player as Danzy Sponson, and with the and with Atlanta not really knowing what they want to do at shortstop right now, um, that could be an interesting thing to follow to see if his Babbitt like goes up a little bit because they're losing a little bit of that defense. Oh yeah, definitely. I completely agree, especially because their replacements Orlando Arcia or Ahir Adrianza yes. at yes. short. So I, I we'll see how that goes. Yeah, we'll talk about that probably later. But yeah, Juan Grissom being sent down is is such a weird move. Yep, I completely agree. But moving on to tier four of Nick Pollock's list, we have Dylan Cease at eighteen, Yu Darvish at nineteen, Shane Bieber at twenty. Joe Musgrove at 21, Alec Manoa at 22, and Zach Gallen at 23. I like this grouping. I have Bieber higher. I have Cease lower. I don't mm-hmm. like Cease that much. And mainly that's just my own personal stigma. He was very good last season. But mm-hmm. to me, he's still that guy that starts an inning off with the bases loaded and walks in a run. And <laughs> I can't get that out of my head for some reason. And maybe that's shame yeah. on me. Maybe that's just cloudy vision there but I just am so worried about Dylan Cease just Mm -hmm. with his control that I think at any point in time he could be a top 10 pitcher and at any point in time he could be a top 40 pitcher and that to me is kind of scary for someone around this range I think you Darvish is very slept on in general but I think Nick Mm -hmm. ranked him accurately I have Bieber higher than Darvish though I like Alec Manoa I like Zach Gallen a lot I think Zach Gallen's gonna have a great year this year and Joe Mm -hmm. Musgrove I personally think is going to be so good because just the value you were able to get him after that toe thing like I said in the TGFBI draft I got him in the 10th round because everyone was so scared by it and when I figured out that it was only going to be a start or two I jumped Mm -hmm. on him and got great value so I like this tier what about you John 
Yeah, this tier is interesting. I, I don't really have any too many issues with it. I maybe a couple things to point out. Um Joe Musgrove's ERA last year, two point nine three, FIP three point five nine. Yep. Um Alec Manoa's ERA last year, two point two four, FIP three point three five. Yeah. Well, you know, the numbers are numbers. They don't always explain the entire story. Um, the the way that we would interpret these numbers are that he likely pitched. Uh, Manoa, I won't say he got lucky, but he definitely pitched better than the expected stats would indicate. Yep. Um, and his K per nine last year, too, was kind of low, 8.24. Um, however, he did pitch 196 innings. So overall, you know, just in, a, in an overall K's league, he was great because yep. he had that volume. Um, Musgrove, on the other hand, I mean, he's a guy that has dealt with you know a few injuries. He pitched 180 innings, so really probably only missed you know a couple starts. Same thing as this year, basically, was going to miss a couple starts. Um, and with him, you know, his his strikeouts are a little bit better. You know, 9.15 K per nine. Um, I think with these two guys, they're they're very interesting because they're young guys. Well, I guess Musgrove's not that young. But they're guys who've had limited major league experience um, and then just came onto the scene in the last two years. And, you know, we want to elevate them because they're doing really well. They're, they're providing good ratios, good strike on numbers. Um, but that divide between their ear and their FIP is a little worrying. Um, not to the point where I'm like, you know, bringing them down a lot. I don't, I don't, I still think they're better than the guys in tier five. Um, but to me, there's just something there that, maybe needs to be explored a little bit more and that's the thing you bring up a great point is that I agree with that like Musgrove and Manoa both got a tad not lucky but they had more favorable outcomes than maybe they should have had and the thing is though is like I would still take both of them over George Kirby for instance or Nestor Cortez because I just believe in their skill set a little bit more which is why Mm -hmm. they're in this tier and where they are yeah so I personally like that as well. But I agree. They are definitely two pitchers that maybe you expect some regression on the ERA and whip side. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you really want to get into the real nitty gritty, like analytics sort of stats, like um, we've discussed in, in previous pods that PLV has allowed us to, you know, make some uh, understanding, a better understanding of expected stats. And one of the stats that, you know, that's come out is hit luck, right? This idea that, you know, how many, how, how many hits, did they get or did they not get because they were because uh something just happened that was lucky and manoa is at minus 38 hit luck which means that he gave up 30 s 38 less hits than he should have wow um this and you know i i think that is um i'm just kind of scrolling and and sorting a, a table so bear with me for a little bit but you know, the, the, the players that are, like, kind of leading that are, like, Tony Gonsolin. Zach Allen actually interesting up here, minus 52. But he actually has a really good defense behind him, so I'm not that surprised behind right. about that. Christian Javier, minus 50. He's, you know, the, it's because he kind of only had a fastball. So, you know, there's some interesting stuff there. But, yeah, Manoa's, Manoa slots in as the sixth luckiest pitcher, so to speak. Um, again, this doesn't tell the whole story, but it does kind of explain that, like, Hey, if he if he had a bunch of average batters go up against his stuff, um, they would have gotten thirty eight more hits than than what he had this season. So, uh, 
there's something interesting to follow. Uh, I don't think it downgrades them that severely. It doesn't make them like a do not draft sort of person or, you know, punts them all the way down to tier six. But it's something to keep in mind when you're drafting. Yeah, that's food for thought for sure. And I think everything evens out. All the luckiness that Alec Manoa got, all the unluckiness Kevin Gosman got kind of balanced it out. So (laughs) pretty pretty interesting how that works, especially with Just our luck for people who have Kevin Gosman on your team and then for your opponent to have Alec Manoa on Of course. Yep. Now, before we get into Tier 5, we're going to take a quick break, so stay tuned. All right, we are back, and we're going over Nick Pollock's top 100 starting pitcher list, but we're only doing the top 50. We're in Tier 5 right now, and Tier 5 starts with Robbie Ray at 24, Carlos Rodon at 25, George Kirby at 26, Framber Valdez at 27, Luis Severino at 28, Nestor Cortez at 29, and Lance Lynn at 30. John, any comments about this tier? Um, Bramber is interesting here specifically because you and I both enjoy playing quality start leagues. Yep. And Framber led the league last year in quality starts. Yeah, league. I have him like, higher in my personal rankings just to throw yeah, that out Yeah, he had like 26 or something like that, I think. It was crazy. Um, yeah, he went on a wild streak. Yeah. Um, basically, I don't expect that to happen again. <laughs> no, me neither, I don't, of course. I really don't expect him to lead the league in quality starts and... I think because of that, some of his value is lost if you are drafting in those kind of leagues. Um, the other thing, too, for Framber is... It, I'm not saying that he's, you know, uh, being thrust into the number one spot is going to make it more difficult for him, right? That's totally not That's totally not the case. But he did pitch 200 innings last year, and the year before that, he pitched 134. Uh, it's, again, this whole, you know, adage of, like, Pitching a lot of innings means you're likely going to pitch a lot of innings the next year, but pitching a lot of innings also means you might get hurt, you know? Right. Um, with Framber, the the main thing for him is that he keeps his ratios down, but the strikeouts don't really get there. Um, he is going to get a lot of wins, though, and he's going to probably get still a decent amount of quality starts because he plays for the Astros. Um, so overall, I think Framber to me is like one of those weird pitchers where it's like it kind of depends on what you're looking for in your drafts, right? If you're looking for strikeouts you're on a quality start league i'd you know move away from framber but if you don't if you already have strikeouts kind of taken care of earlier in the draft then framber is kind of worth picking up because he's just kind of a solid workhorse that you can rely on day in day out yeah he's like tier 4.5 for me like if i could just have a tier of its own it would be mm-hmm. between four and five and framber valdez would comfortably just sit there so it's tough. And obviously, Carlos Rodon, just a quick note on him, he's at 25 only because he has that forearm issue yeah. and he's working his way back from it. Otherwise, he would probably be a top 10 guy on Nick's list, maybe top five. Mm-hmm. So with that factor, and he's at 25 here, but he's a guy that is very, very good and obviously signed a big contract with the Yankees. So expecting yeah. big things out of Rodon. And then in spring training, Robbie Ray is also developing a splitter or something and yeah, that's very mm-hmm. interesting. So that's something to keep an eye on. I like him at 24 in tier five. It's just mm-hmm. pretty interesting that all the Mariners are developing a new pitch. Yeah, I- I'm curious because I-, I think I've heard a lot of mixed things about this specific pitcher. But what's your take on Nestor Cortez? Oh, man, this is a tough one because I am kind of inadvertent to Nestor Cortez, where if he's on the draft board and he's clearly the best pitcher, I'm not really mm-hmm. looking to take him. OK, yeah. but if there's like a few options and he's the best pitcher and it's like, let's say like Logan Webb and Logan Gilbert are there. I'd rather Nestor Cortez. Oh, completely. Yeah. But 
I don't know. It's just when there's someone like a gimmicky pitcher, like what Nestor Cortez is, and I'm not calling his what he does is a gimmick. He's a professional pitcher that's elite. But mm-hmm. you got to wonder how long that lasts. And he's been good now for a season and a half or two seasons. So mm-hmm. you can't really discredit that. But I think there's way more risk in him than someone like Lance Lynn, who just literally throws a fastball and says, hey, if you hit it, great. If you don't, cool, I, I win. Yeah, although sometimes I'm really dice. That, that fastball can be super dicey. Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, for sure. Man, I I really like Cortez a lot, but I don't know why I like him a lot. Okay, yeah, fair. Um, it, there's there's he has a disparity between his expected stats and his actual stats. Um, like we can't can't shy away from that. It's a you know two point four four ERA, which is incredible. But then the three point one three WHIP, um, two point seven X ERA, three point six three X FIP. Um, something is working for him. Uh, the the Yankee defense is pretty good. Um, so it's not too surprising that he is succeeding, um, in that regard, but he also isn't like that big of a ground ball pitcher. He's only 33%, yeah. um, which isn't that high. So he also had an incredible left on base rate last year, 82%. Um, which if you remember Robbie Ray in his Cy Young winning season had, I think like an insane left on base rate. Yep. Um, and I, you know, just, just things like that, where like you, you just see a couple, a couple numbers here and there, you're like, Okay, that doesn't necessarily point to anything, but maybe maybe it does. You know, maybe maybe it's something to to shy away from. You know, ultimately, would I take Nestor? Is Nestor a top thirty pitcher for me? Would I take him over the guys in tier six and tier seven? Definitely. So he's just one of those guys where maybe I'd put him lower than Lance Lynn, but I don't really have a reason for why I would do that. There's right. Maybe so... a little bit of risk in his game. That's our first kind of disagreement, I guess, on a certain player. Because for me, I would take one, two, three. I would take three of the first four guys in tier six over Nestor Cortez. And we'll get into that in just a second. But like, I would have Cortez a little bit lower on this Mm -hmm. list. Whereas you might have him like a tad lower. I might have him a little drastically lower. Sure. But I think Cortez is a fantastic pitcher. I just, in terms of how I like to build my teams and whatnot, he doesn't really fit in the build. And I'm worried about that kind of gimmicky release and whatnot. Yeah. I will say I am trying to talk him up a little bit because I have him in my home league. Okay, fair. That being said, though, I got him for two dollars in an auction draft. Oh so no, that's I feel free. Very, I feel very good about that. I so. would feel super happy about that. Are you kidding me? That's yes. like getting him at pitcher seventy. <laughs> I know. So to me, I'm like, yeah, he's a great pitcher. Why would he not be a great yeah. pitcher? <laughs> no, I, I agree with that. Especially at two dollars, he's the best pitcher. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. Moving on to tier six, though. We've got Jesus Lazardo at 31, Clayton Kershaw at 32, Blake Snell at 33, Hunter Green at 34, and Logan Webb at 35. A little bit of a shorter tier. I think the shortest tier on the tiers that we're going to be covering today. But for the people that I said that I would take over Nestor Cortez, I would take Lazardo over him. I would take Kershaw, and I would take Hunter Green. Okay. And I really like Blake Snell as well, but with the question marks he has, if he just touches that change up, then I like Nestor Cortez better. But... Yeah. Mm-hmm. I really like this tier of pitchers, and I like to grab one or two of these guys in my drafts as possible upside guys. Like, I love mm-hmm. taking Clayton Kershaw and pairing him with someone like Jeffrey Springs or Reed Detmers, where I know mm-hmm. that Kershaw is going to pitch 120 elite innings, and then whoever I replace him with later on, maybe like a Carlos Carrasco off the wire or Drew Rasmussen. Well, he's not going off the wire, but you know what I mean. Some of those yeah. late guys that I can grab and use to fill in the replacement value with Kershaw is just going to be an ace that you're getting so late. So big fan of Kershaw. Lazardo's upside, I think, is phenomenal. Hunter Green's upside, I think, is phenomenal. And Blake Snell could be great. Logan Webb is kind of 
uh, it's he's such a hard pitcher to navigate. But how do you feel about tier six? So, I think Luzardo is way too high here. Fair. It's a fair point. It's a fair point. It, you and I both have affection for him. Like we we talked ad nauseum about how much we love Jesus Luzardo. Yep. But he's last season he pitched a hundred innings, good ratio, three point three two ERA, one point zero for a WHIP, ten point seven six K per nine, which is great. But he's never done that before. Yep. And maybe it's something you know, maybe it's something in the water in Miami, right? They 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 somehow are able to crank out really really good pitchers. And I was glad he left Oakland to go to Miami because that that, that was a, I thought that was a great move for him. But at the same time, like, is this repeatable? Like, right. Or, or uh, the other thing too is the the injury concern. Um, and I just I don't know if I trust him more than any of the other guys on this list. I, I maybe trust him that I maybe trust him more than Hunter Green because he Luzardo at least has like more than one pitch that works. Right. Um or technically two. Hunter Green does have two pitches that works. Um but Blake Stell, I'm taking over Luzardo. Clayton Kershaw is interesting because it's like 130 innings of, you know, ace level play. Um and maybe Luzardo gets you 130 innings of ace level play, but then Kershaw's ace level play is so much better. Right. Um, so I, yeah, I, t- I think I take almost everyone in this tier over Luzardo. Um, Logan Webb's like one of those guys where I think he's going to make like a, a sneaky comeback. Uh, it's just going to be completely under the radar. I don't think anyone's going to really notice it, but it's he's just going to be because he's boring. He's a boring ground ball pitcher, but that gets you that gets you results still. Yep. Um, Blake Snell, he says he's not using his changeup, which it's great. Yeah. I, I think that's that. If he so, throws that, it's a disaster. We know how completely. bad of a pitch that was. Yeah. So I think, yeah, my, my disagreement with this is I just think Luzardo's at the bottom of this tier. And I actually agree with that. I would take <laughs> Lazardo over Cortez, like I said, just because I believe in Lazardo's upside yeah. way more than what Cortez does. And that's sure. a different discussion. But I actually have Lazardo behind Jeffrey Springs and Reed Detmers. I have right. In that oh, wow. tier, okay. in, in yeah. there. So that's where I have him, but I like mm. him better than Nestor Cortez. So yeah. if that makes sense, I think he's too high on this list as well, but I do like Lizardo a lot. It's, I mean, if you look at it, if he, if he pitched 200 innings at that level, I'd, you know, elevate him in this list. Right? Oh, obviously. Yeah. But I don't think, I, A, I don't think he's going to get to that volume. And B, even if he did, he's not pitching at this level. Right. Um, and the other thing, too, is that he doesn't get you wins. Exactly. from Miami. Yep. That's so. the tough part about Lizardo. But yeah. moving on to Tier 7. We have this tier and one more to go, and that will wrap up the top 50 of Nick Pollock's list. But in Tier 7 of his list, we have Chris Sale at 36, Logan Gilbert at 37, Joe Ryan at 38, Lucas Giolito at 39, Jeffrey Springs at 40, Reed Detmers at 41, Grayson Rodriguez at 42, Pablo Lopez at 43, Charlie Morton at 44, and Nick Lodolo at 45. This is a big tier, the biggest that we've talked about. And in my opinion, this is where I love to cash in in drafts. This is my go-to zone here. I like to grab two or three of these guys. Giolito, one of my favorites as a bounce back. Springs, absolutely love him. Detmers, love him. Lodolo, love him. Even Sale, I believe in a bounce back. So all these guys... I love all of them, except maybe Grayson Rodriguez. I think he's a little high. Obviously, we haven't seen much out of him at the major league level yet. Mm-hmm. And maybe I'd scale back Charlie Morton as well. But besides that, I really love this tier. Yeah, this is a very interesting tier. And I think the two guys I want to point out here are Logan Gilbert and Joe Ryan. Yep. 
Because these are both guys who, maybe less so for Gilbert, but they relied on a fastball. And then their secondaries are kind of meh, right? Like, yeah, I agree. Yep. Like, Gilbert's slider is not good. His curveball is even worse. Yep. Like, he kind of gets by with his four-seamer. And it's a good pitch, right? It's a really good pitch. But the he relies on it basically to get those outs. Joe Ryan's even kind of even more extreme version of that, where his four-seamer is... Again, really solid. Um, 70th percentile in in PLV, which is which is pretty solid. But then the slider is abysmal. Although supposedly in spring training he has developed maybe of a sweeper. Right. Because he went to driveline. You know, whatever that means. Yeah. And um <laughs> and his changeup is also garbage too. Like like Joe Ryan has like one and a half pitches and Logan Gilbert has like one point seven five pitches. <laughs> and I just don't see how that succeeds in a season like it clearly did last year it right. worked out for both of them but at the same time um uh, to me they're they're at the bottom of this year maybe even lower because as much as i love joe ryan obviously being a twins fan it's hard for me to see success for him as as teams see his fastball more and more right like there's something that's weirdly deceptive about it and i i'm not smart enough to know why it works the way it does um but at the same time, like it's a ninety-ish mile an hour fastball. Yeah, like it should get hammered, but it it isn't. Um, and as long as that continues to be, uh, you know, one of the one of the main reasons to not believe in Joe Ryan, like it, I don't know. To me, to me, he's a little high here. Yeah, so they're at the bottom of my tier here. Obviously, I don't have Grayson Rodriguez in this tier at all. I have him mm-hmm. a little lower. Pablo yep. Lopez is probably towards the bottom as well, and Charlie Morton is not on this tier either. Okay, yeah. But I would put Joe Ryan and Logan Gilbert behind Detmers or Pablo Lopez. Mm-hmm. Pablo Lopez is actually really interesting to me. And I'm, not, I'm not saying this just because I'm a homer. No, of course. Yeah, yeah. The reason why he's this low is, has got to be injuries, right? Because yep. other than that, his stuff is at least good enough to be tier six. Well, he's been a tale of two halves kind of pitcher, you know. Last yep. season, he dominated coming out of the gate, but then kind of ran out of gas and kind of got clobbered in the second half of the last season. And I know that because mm-hmm. I traded for him in between that good <laughs> starts and bad starts. So it was yeah. kind of rough, especially because I gave up Martin Perez in the deal for him. Ooh, tough. So, tough. Yeah, I Ooh. gave up a fan favorite for for him, and he stunk. So Pablo Lopez kind of left me with a sour taste in my mouth, but I love how the velocity's up in spring training and in the WBC. Yep. I think that Pablo Lopez has a lot of upside, and if he can just figure out how to keep it going throughout a full season, and obviously no injuries, of course, yep. I think he's got all the promise in the world, and I would push him up a little bit. Mm-hmm. But until I see that one time, like I said, this is kind of the range where I'd be comfortable taking him, maybe a little bit lower. Yeah, that's fair. I, I think I maybe elevate him a little bit, but I think that's purely homerism, and it isn't because of anything else. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I yeah. Like I said, out of thing... all these guys, Jeffrey Springs and Reed Detmers are my go-to favorites. It's very easy to oh, say, yes. oh, they're my breakouts because look at what they're doing in spring training. But mm-hmm. before spring training even happened, these two guys I had pinned. I mean, Reed Detmers a little later when I found out that his velocities were up and his pitches were better and whatnot. Yeah. But I was in on Springs before all of the hoopla in spring training. Yeah, I am – so incredibly high in Detmers that I I should be a little worried. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was very happy to draft him in everywhere I could this season. Yeah, I, I agree. And then Morton, uh, just a little tidbit about Morton is that his curveball doesn't look as good. Yeah, um, 
And that's, and that's what scares me the years. most. Yes. That's his bread and butter. If he doesn't have that, yeah. what does he have? Exactly. Yeah. So the last tier, tier eight, pitchers 46 to 51. And the reason why we did 51 is because 51 is actually really interesting. But Freddie Peralta is at 46. Drew Rasmussen is at 47. Dustin May is at 48. Tristan McKenzie is at 49. Chris Bassett is at 50. And Kodai Sanga is 51, wrapping up tier eight. Now, Drew Rasmussen is another favorite, mainly of PLV, and you could get more into that as well, but yep. Drew Rasmussen is a PLV darling. Same with Jeffrey Springs, and I don't know, that raised rotation is kind of otherworldly when it comes to PLV and all these other things. Even Tyler Glasnow is up there too. So mm-hmm. pretty crazy that Drew Rasmussen's 47, but it makes sense. He could even be higher if he just pitches a full season and is giving you that length. Freddie Peralta coming back from injury. I love Freddie Peralta, but I don't know what we're going to get out of him. Dustin May is an incredible dart throw, and 48 is a great spot for him. Chris Bassett I'm a little bit worried about with the whole pitch clock and Toronto a little bit more out on Chris Bassett this year than I would want to be. And then Kodai Sanga, I am super hyped for this season. But, John, what about Tier 8 do you like? Yeah, I have been basically trying to get Drew Rasmussen everywhere. Yep. Um, Because I'm maybe admittedly falling for the he looks great in plv he legitimately like top 10 pitcher in plv and um and i'm like yeah i want that uh do i know if it's actually going to work out i have no clue uh but there's something about his stuff that works really really well and at the same time if the if the rays are kind of more willing to let guys go a little bit longer you know, they, they don't have as deep of a bullpen as they used to. Um, yep. that, is, that is one thing to note. Um, and so they're going to be somewhat hard-pressed to let those guys go, you know, a little bit longer than maybe they used to be. You know, the Rays are very well known for having short leashes on their pitchers. And so if they have to lengthen that just a little bit, um, I would be very excited um, about Drew Rasmussen. Um, just some PLV numbers because why not? Let's throw these out there. Um, he's top 20 in plv uh he's top let's see um top 15 in pla and this is this is uh pitchers who pitched 100 innings last year right um so really high quality stuff there over like on an overall basis um he's doing really really well if you look at quality pitches which is basically like how many pitches did you throw that were you know good pitches by plv's metric um he's in the top 30 um, on and on. There was a little bit of a hit luck last year, and his 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 infield's a little suspect, but the Rays find a way, and, and uh, the, they'll they'll find a way to make that defense look good. Um, but yeah, Drew Rasmussen is just an absolute PL darling. I don't understand why, but um, you know, sometimes all you do is you just turn off your brain and follow the numbers. Yeah, and that's something with Drew Rasmussen that just shines bright. Is like, hey. If it all looks good, just trust it and go along. And if it doesn't work, cool, you drop them and move on. But if it works, you've probably got yourself a top 30 pitcher for a very low cost. And right. that's incredible. Yeah. And, and the big the big reason why he's that highly rated in a PLV is because all his pitches are generally in, you know, they're above average pitches. His only pitch that is below average is a sinker, which only throws 3% of his time. But his fastball is really good. Uh, his cutter is really good. His slider is not so much. Um, but uh, yeah, that's that's the reason why PLV likes him is because his pitches are really good. The only question is, is he going to be able to? Is he? Are the Rays going to allow him to throw enough pitches to 
matter in a, right. in, a, in a fantasy league. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And then like Tristan McKenzie, he kind of overperformed last season and I don't really know how to feel about him this season, but I like where he is on the list because I don't think you can discredit him more than this. You know, mm-hmm. he could be great still or he could be, you know, taking a step back. Dustin May has all the upside in the world, but how many innings are you going to get out of him? Yep. And then Kodai Senga, same thing. He's got a lot of upside, but we haven't seen it before. He hasn't pitched in the MLB yet. So a lot of question marks with this tier with Freddie Peralta, May, Bassett, Senga. But overall, there's a lot of upside in this mm-hmm. tier. Yeah. It, Tristan McKenzie, like, it's not exactly the same thing as Spencer Strider, but both guys were essentially rookies that came out and, you know, took the league by storm um spencer strider obviously more so than than mckenzie right um but then mckenzie kind of showed like hey i have this small i mean not he's not small but the small frame yeah um he's a stick he's a stick and, right, yeah <laughs> and he made it work which is the cool part however is that going to be repeatable this year right or does he need to basically put on more muscle more mass so to speak so that he doesn't just pitch himself into oblivion yeah but that wraps up the top 51 on Nick Pollock's top 100 starting pitcher list for 2023. We did eight tiers, went over the top 51. So hopefully you were able to get some names out of that, that maybe we like more than the list or less than the list says. And maybe going into your drafts, you hold on to some information that we gave you here today, and it helps you draft a quality starting rotation. But now we will take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll be joined by pitcher list writer Nate Schwartz to talk about his article, Process first results, identifying sleepers through PLV and run value. Stay tuned. All right, we are back and joined by pitcher list writer Nate Schwartz. Longtime recurrence, Nate Schwartz. So, Nate, welcome back to the show. How are you doing today? Thank you. Good to be back. Uh, we're about a week away from opening day, and I could not be more excited. Yeah, it's exciting times. I'm super excited for opening day. Can't wait for it to happen. The WBC was electric and so much fun to watch. So, if that's any little precursor for the rest of the season, I'm very excited about it. But before we get into it, tell us a little bit about yourself for people who haven't seen the episodes that you were on, like how long you've been playing fantasy for, or what team you're a fan of. Yeah, so uh, I've been writing at Pitcher List for just over a year now. I am uh, on the Going Deep team, uh, mostly talking about pitchers and uh, all of the fun that uh, consists of that. And I've been playing fantasy for about like three or four years, mind a gap in uh, 2020, just as you know, that was quite the uh, weird season. And I'm very glad that 2023 feels like the first real uh, normal fantasy season in, uh, you know, like 20 since 2019, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, root for the Cardinals in my free time. So hopefully the, uh, the, amount of exposure we got in the world baseball classic uh, continues to uh, give us good graces uh, going into the season. Yeah. You guys had a lot of WBC representatives. You had Michaelis and Wainwright, Goldie, Arenado, and then Newt of course the champion. Yeah, we had, and then we had uh, Gallegos on Mexico, yep. Andre Palante on Italy. Like I think they had uh, seven or eight guys total, which I think was the highest out of any MLB team, which is uh, I think really interesting. Wow. Nice. Well, uh, moving uh, to the article that you wrote uh, recently for PitcherList, um, process versus results, identifying sleepers through PLV and run value. Um, obviously, PLV is kind of the one of the new things for this year. Uh, 
a fun tool that we all get to have our our hands on um but just in case for people who don't know uh what would be kind of your short description of plv and then on the flip side you also talk about run value in this article what what's your short description about run value as well so i will not do uh the plv description full justice and to <laughs> that i uh i recommend reading uh, nick's articles about plv on the website or just watching the PitchCon presentations when they were originally introduced as they are fascinating and give a very good uh, understanding to how it works. But um, in my uh, understanding, PLV or pitch level value is a pitch quantifier that takes uh, physical and categorical attributes to any given pitch, um, puts it in a machine learning model based on results from 2020 to 2022, and then determines on a scale of zero to 10 uh, how good of a pitch it was. Um, which means that we can basically determine uh, how good a pitch is regardless of the actual result that happens. Mm -hmm. As you know, um, a pitcher can throw a really good slider down in a way that somehow gets poked out for a homer, while uh, a pitcher can also get away with a fastball right down the middle that a pitcher, that a hitter just missed. So it really looks to like truly quantify each pitch outside of the actual result that we see. Um, and meanwhile, StatCast's run value which I think is one of, uh, at least previously, one of my like go-to ways to look at pitch types, um, assigns a value to a pitch based on the results. So, you know, if pitchers uh, threw a fastball that everyone swung and missed on and couldn't hit, it would grade uh, with a really low run value. Well, if everyone mashed a pitch, it would get a uh, very high run value. So that kind of looks at the result, um, whereas PLV looks at the actual pitch itself and... Um, it does. They do share um, similarities in the data, but obviously with two different kind of types of uh, ways to determine how good a pitch is, we see uh, some, or some big differences, and that's kind of what I looked into in this article. Yeah, PLV is so in-depth, and it's such a new thing, obviously, that just came to light. So there's a lot of research that needs to be done on the viewers' and listeners' parts to understand it fully. And like you said, going to Nick's outline of it on the article or to watch the whole PitchCon presentation of it is something that would give it more justice for you to understand. But moving deeper into the article, the first pitcher in the article that you mentioned is Hunter Green, who had a real up and down season last year. I'm very high on him this year, so I'm looking forward to him. So hoping to hear good things from you. You mentioned that his fastball improved a lot over the season and PLV sort of backs it up. How do his secondaries look, though, in comparison to that fastball? So Green only has one like main secondary pitch, which is his slider that he throws about 41% of the time. He also has a changeup, but that only has about 5% usage. And both of those are for very good reason. The slider is very good, and both PLV and run value agree that the pitch is indeed a very good slider. A 5.4 PLV on the slider ranks in the 87th percentile, and a minus five run value ranks in the 85th percentile. So both uh, both stats are you know pretty consistent on uh, how they view it. Um, meanwhile, the changeup is also very similar, but in the wrong direction. It is a 4.39 PLV and plus four run value, which both oddly rank in the 21st percentile on both metrics. So that they, they agree that it's a bad pitch. Um, but Green's making the most of his arsenal. He's throwing a slider uh, a bunch and not really throwing his changeup. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of pitchers nowadays really stick to that two-pitch mix, the fastball-slider combo. We've seen DeGrom, Strider, Javier, and now mainly Hunter Green. So it's pretty interesting to see that those two pitches are being the most predominantly thrown, for instance, amongst those kind of power pitchers, you know? 
Yeah, and when I think, uh, I think a lot of people are asking who's going to be this year Spencer Strider, and it feels like a Hunter Green could be that guy. He's got two pitches that are very similar. They're both very, very good in the fastball and the slider. And just with a little better execution, he could really take that leap, uh, assuming that uh, Great American Small Park um, doesn't absolutely destroy him on fly balls. Yeah, because he's a fly ball pitcher. And if he can just control those fly balls and keep them down and in the park, I think he's going to be fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's, it's cool that you, in the article, you kind of described that you know, PLV, unfortunately, we don't have rolling charts for pitchers yet, but um, PLV for that fastball does get a lot better as the season goes on. And so hopefully he kind of continues that process uh, starting into this season. Uh, but moving on, um, Jose Suarez is, a, is another interesting name you bring up. Um, I, I call him interesting because he's only essentially startable when he's facing a lefty heavy lineup. Um, and some of the differences you mentioned um, are, you know, between ex-WOBA and WOBA when he's facing righties. Um, and also the fact that he's above average when locating his other pitches. You know, these are maybe some reasons that we could be optimistic. Um, we're not, you know, pitching coaches or experts by any means. But do you think the situation is one where Suarez could actually make a change and become a solid back of the rotation starter? Or is he pretty much stuck as a guy that, you're going to look at the matchup first and then figure out if you actually want to to start them on your teams. So I think first it's a little difficult because the angels aren't necessarily uh, super forward thinking in terms of their pitcher development. Sure. So I don't necessarily trust that they will find a way to get the best out of Jose Suarez possible. Um, I think if he was maybe in a like different home, if he was in like Los Angeles or Tampa Bay, um, we'd be all over him. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of, who Jose Suarez actually is um, I think it's a little tough because his uh, his slider which is his primary off-speed pitch has a less than ideal shape for dealing with righties Um, it's pretty flat um, so it has a lot of horizontal movement um, which is good for a lefty on lefty matchup but righties Mm -hmm. are able to track it all the way in and it's uh, aligning with their barrel um, for a lot more in the strike zone right Um, right so against righties, he'll primarily be a fastball uh, changeup guy. Um, and I think I mentioned this in the article, but the command of the fastball is where you could see the most success. Mm-hmm. He left it over the middle of the plate too much and didn't, uh, didn't throw it as up or as in as I think he probably wanted. Um, so it was just kind of hanging out over the plate. And while the changeup was good, uh, you know, being a leading with a fastball meant that uh, it would get hit around a bunch. So being able to kind of maybe almost Blake Snell Snell blueprint it um, in a sense, where he's throwing fastballs up and in, uh, change-ups down and away, and then an occasional curveball could work for him. But Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, I don't think it'll be very flashy, um, nor actually uh, make something uh, be worthwhile in maybe your uh, 12 or 15 teamers. Um, As a streaming option, though, um, there are a lot of lefty-heavy lineups in the AL. And especially in the AL West, the Rangers and A's have lineups that Suarez can feast on. Mm-hmm. And if you're in like maybe an AL only league and really need a deep option, uh, Suarez could maybe be even effective against the Astros. Their two best hitters, uh, Tucker and uh, Jordan, are left-handed, so you might be able to get get away with one there um, that you might not expect otherwise. Yeah, it's it's actually interesting. I, I definitely recommend people to to check out Nate's article because um, you have a couple uh, basically heat maps from baseball savant in the article kind of showing you know where he throws that fastball um to righties and to lefties um and it's interesting with with to righties like the the hot spot is literally kind of a little bit middle 
left-ish, uh, kind of right, you know, right where it, right where righties can 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 feast almost. Um, it's not jamming them effectively, but yeah, if he's able to locate that a little bit better, um, it might end up um, being more effective. And then I do appreciate how X Woba and Woba kind of align with this this P, difference between PLV and run value, where the the X Woba was was better, twenty six points lower than the actual Woba. Um, and then for PLV, he's in the 87th percentile with that that fastball, while he's only 11th percentile in the run value. So m- maybe there's hopefully a, a regression to the mean for Suarez, um, but we'll see with you know these types of dis- pitch descriptors if if they truly um, can match reality when it comes to outcomes. Yeah, it's interesting because I think Suarez is really dependent on kind of where he's putting stuff early on in the season. Mm-hmm. And I think we'll be able to tell pretty early on kind of how he's looking um, compared to uh, last year. He's a great deeper league option for sure because he's got such good upside that you could take the chance on him. In the shallower leagues, it's kind of harder to, but in those deeper leagues, maybe even 12 team, 14, 15, those are all really good places to take a shot on Jose Suarez. But moving on to someone that I'm really excited for this season because he lost some weight, changed his pitching mechanics a little bit, is Lucas Giolito. And in your article, you mentioned that the changeup didn't look as good in terms of run value because it was used more often in settings that weren't conducive to throwing a changeup. Could you maybe elaborate more on that and how do you feel about Lucas Giolito for this season? Yeah, so between uh, 2021 and 2022, uh, Giolito dropped his changeup usage from 32% to 26%, replacing that gap with extra sliders and fastballs. Um, However, the changeup was essentially stagnant um, in usage in uh, hitter-friendly counts, those being uh, 1-0, 2-0, 3-0, and 3-1 counts. And then in 2-1 counts, it jumped 7% in usage. Wow. So while Giolito was throwing uh, fewer changeups collectively, he was throwing more changeups uh, in hitter-friendly counts, relatively speaking. Um, so that meant that he was using his other fa- his other stuff, his fastball and his slider, um, when he was ahead, but then relying on the change up more when he was falling behind. And if he's starting to kind of come around, um, have a little bit more fastball velo, he kind of, he said he reworked his mechanics a little bit. He might be more confident to go back to the change up uh, in moments where he may need it uh, to be more effective. Didn't he have a pretty good change up to start with? Is he just throwing it in the wrong times? Yeah, his changeup has always been good. PLV has thought it's been good. And um, if you actually look at the uh, run value of it, which I am actually going to pull up right now, it has been good in years past. Right. And it makes it really show the anomaly that was 2022's um, high four ERA. Um, in 2020, it was a the changeup was a minus two run value. In 2021, it was minus 11. And then all of a sudden in 2022, it balloons to a plus seven run value. Wow. So I have to believe it's uh, something with how he's using it because the pitch PLV thinks it really hasn't changed, um, that something will come around and he will rebound nicely in 2023. Right. Because that has to be an outlier. That seems like the obvious outlier when your pitch is a negative run value for at least two years in a row and then it just spikes to a plus. So There has to be something going on there. Hopefully that mechanic change where he was bad with the long arm, then he switched to the short arm, had success, but then the short arm got destroyed last year and now he went back to the long arm. So he worked with driveline and stuff. So hopefully that really affects 
how he does this season because I think he's going to be great again. I mean, we're quick to write him off in fantasy because of that bad season, but he's been great ever since he stepped in the league after that first season, of course. Yeah, he's a, it's quite an interesting career because people were ready to label him as a bus yep. um, early on, and then he figured it out and was awesome. Um, and then this year, last year, rather, um, kind of the question marks are creeping back. But I like him going into 2023. I think he's at a great discount compared to where he really should be. Um, and I trust that um, Giolito is going to put up a probably 3-4 to 3-5 ERA this year. I agree completely. Yeah, and then I guess uh, kind of wrapping up uh, the interview, there's there's a lot of fun names that we didn't talk about in the article. Um J.D. Brubaker, Marco Gonzalez, guys that are kind of at the fringes of of your fantasy teams. Um, but were there any other pitchers that that didn't make the cut for the article? Any other interesting um, uh, tidbits that you found between, you know, disparity between someone's PLV and their run value? Yeah, so there were, when I first pulled this, there were a lot of exciting names. I mean, as I was planning this out, I determined I didn't want to write 5,000 words and write about maybe every pitcher on the planet. <laughs> sure. um, so I'll give a few quick hits. The biggest just missed guy I saw was Alex Wood, whose hmm. sinker and slider were both uh, top 10 in disparity between PLV and run value within their respective pitch types. Um, and I think he's kind of a popular uh, late in the draft bounce back candidate. And yeah. I know everyone looks at the the ERA compared to the FIP and the Sierra and the expected ERA. And it's like, oh, there was a clear underperformance last year. And there are factors like the Giants defense that make that weird. But PLV really kind of liked what he did compared to um, run value. So I think that kind of adds legitimacy to his bounce back. Um, the player with the highest disparity overall between PLV and run value was actually Eliezer Hernandez and his slider. Um so Eliezer Hernandez with the Marlins, um, he's one of, you know, 8,000 pitchers that they have that could be a legitimate right. MLB starter. Yep. Um, and I think he currently slots at, I think, eight or nine on their death chart. So he's not necessarily going to see too many starts and not necessarily fantasy relevant. Um, so didn't feel the need entirely to write him up. And then just some other names and pitch types uh, towards the top were Aaron Ashby and his changeup, uh, Nate Uvalde slider and uh, Trevor Rogers slider. That's crazy. Marlins guys on there. Yeah, well, Eliezer Hernandez is actually on the Mets now. Oh. Oh, I didn't. I think we signed him either in the offseason or the last season. He got traded over or something. But we actually, I loved Eliezer Hernandez when when I heard we got him. I was like, man, he is someone who was in a situation with the Marlins, like you said, where he is like the eighth starter in their rotation kind of. But now if there's any injuries to the Mets rotation, he might be a legit contender for a job. Yeah, I kind of actually, wow, that's poor research on my part. Um, but yeah, no, I like that a lot, um, giving him a new place and a potentially a place to succeed with uh, Scherzer and Verlander being great, but obviously the age is yep. uh, a little worrisome. Uh, I know David Peterson's going to fill in, maybe Tyler McGill is going to fill in, but uh, Hernandez, you know, the slider could become a thing. I kind of liked him last year until the role kind of uh, squashed that opportunity up, but yeah. Um, you know, that's probably like a mid-season pickup if uh, things kind of break his way. Yeah, because he's really good. Elias Hernandez has some nasty stuff. Yeah, I'm I'm excited for him. Uh, hopefully he gets a full opportunity somewhere. If not with the Mets, hopefully he gets traded somewhere and does something because he's been in the league for what seems like a long time, and I really hope that he can have a good career because, like we said, his, his stuff plays up. So 
Yeah, that's a lot of good deeper options. I mean, JT Brubaker was very interesting as well, learning about him and Marco Gonzalez, like John said. There was a lot of good deep dives that you did on these players that were just fantastic. Yeah, thank you guys. Um, I know the the fun tidbit about uh, Brubaker is that I'm pretty sure he was leading or is uh, has led the uh, baseball in strikeouts this spring. Um, and I know we kind of changed his arsenal a little bit in terms of usage, so he continues to get a little more interesting yeah oh definitely yeah it was just kind of incredible how low his run value was <laughs> like yeah, he, he was, was the worst pitch basically by run value of all <laughs> the ones that you described and it's like he was oh, but it could kind be good of, he was kind of the worst pitcher in baseball last year um who threw a legitimate amount of innings but <laughs> right. then again so was lucas giolito for a year so yeah you really yeah. never know uh development is always kind of fun to see and hopefully uh Brubaker can uh, put something together this year. That's a very good point. A lot of people wrote off Giolito after that one season, and people might be writing off JT Brubaker, but who knows? Maybe he could be great. But, Nate, thank you so much for taking the time. We love having you on, so thank you so much for joining us for this episode. Your article was fantastic, and more people could check it out on PitcherList.com. Before you sign off, do you want to tell people where they could find you on Twitter or something? And if you're excited about any articles that you have upcoming, please share with us. Yeah, so uh, thank you guys again for having me on. Um, you can find me on Twitter at underscore Nate Schwartz. Um, my upcoming article uh, hopefully will be about uh, sweepers and you know what we know about them, who's throwing them, and uh, what we expect for a pitch that is, pun intended, sweeping across the country. <laughs> yeah, sweepers is like the hot term. That and driveline are going neck and neck for the most hot buzzword terms of 2023. <laughs> Yeah, I think they've replaced the uh, best shape of his life in spring training. Yeah. <laughs> yes, completely. Well, and then, and then I think Savant like officially added sweeper as like a real pitch yes. category now too, right? Yep. Yeah. It's legitimately yeah. there. But Nate, for anyone who wants to follow him on Twitter, it's underscore N-A-T-E-S-C-H-W-A-R-T-Z. Make sure you go and follow him. Great stuff coming out of there. And we're excited for your next article. Nate, once again, thank you for taking the time to talk with us. Yeah, of course, guys. Have a good one. Now, moving on to the MLB news and transactions since the last podcast, we start with Jose Altuve of the Astros, who suffered a broken or fractured right thumb during the Venezuela vs. USA game on Saturday night. Right after we posted our podcast about Edwin Diaz, Altuve suffered a terrible injury during the WBC as well. He was hit on the hand with a pitch that ended up breaking his thumb. He underwent surgery for it on Wednesday and is expected to be sidelined for two months. We're looking at a late May to mid-June return here, so he's still worth grabbing in drafts, but a little bit later on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is kind of one of the, I mean, obviously I think this is the biggest injury besides Edwin Diaz to come out of the WBC. Yep. Um, and Altuve is interesting because he was essentially like a top three second baseman, um, depending on you know how you ranked between Semien and Albies. Um, Altuve was right up there with those guys. Um, and so it creates a little bit of a challenge here because second base isn't that, um, isn't that great this year. Uh, even as we discussed, right, Vaughn Grissom, who was kind of at the tail end of second base in a lot of leagues, is not starting the, is not going to be starting in the majors this year. And, um, it'll be interesting to see how drafts adjust. We might see some more Chad Chisholm helium, which I'm all for. Um, or maybe Gleyber Torres gets up a little bit from his current ADP of 112. Um, but yeah, Altuve being out is is pretty huge, not just for fantasy, obviously, but, but for Houston as well. 
Um, but, you know, they've got plenty of guys there that can take over their offense. Um, I don't think they'll be too hurt by by this uh, by this injury. Yeah, the replacement value at second base isn't too great for Houston, but they'll get around with him being out only mm-hmm. for two months. They're a great team. And for fantasy, yeah, he's my number one or two second baseman, either him or Semyon. And then yep. Jazz is obviously going to get outfield eligibility, which I'd probably rather play in there, but I don't know. But I love Jazz as well. But yeah, Altuve, for fantasy purposes, losing him was really rough, especially for second base, which is already thin. Right. It, it maybe a little thing here like if you look at the auction calculator on um fan graphs we also we have one on on pitcher list that this is just the one that i opened up at the time um altupe is now the 14th best second baseman um you know basically his plate appearances went from you know 700 ish to 450 uh and so just pricing that in maybe he's worth a a flyer your drafts like if you already have a second baseman um, and you're maybe in round, you know, 12 or 13, maybe it's worth picking him up. Um, he's still worth value in drafts. That, that's that's to be said. Yeah, that's a great point. And I've done that as well in my drafts. In my home league, I took Altuve in the eighth round. It's a keeper league, so the values are a little bit different. But I took him in the eighth round because why not? He's a great player. So he's going to have value this season. And it's just about picking your spot when it comes to Altuve now. Right. Moving on, we had a huge injury happen. Reese Hoskins of the Phillies was carted off the field due to a non-contact left knee injury during a spring training game on Thursday. It was reported later on that he tore his left ACL and will require surgery, so he might miss the entire season. Brutal injury. Hoskins is someone I was pretty high on going into 2023, and man, that is a rough loss for the Phillies. And for fantasy purposes, I mean, he was a great mid-first base option, and... Wow. I mean, what a bad injury. And it wasn't even something that looked that serious, too, when I was watching it. He kind of was just fielding a grounder to his left, and he was going mm-hmm. onto the grass and kind of just pulled up lame and was on the ground and carted off. Yeah, it's tough. Um, Reese is, like, one of my favorite non-twins players. I don't know why. I've just always enjoyed him. And when he had that, uh, it wasn't even a bat flip. It was a bat bomb, basically. Yeah, yeah. When he hit that homer in, in the playoffs, um, I was just so happy for him. But yeah, it's so tough to to see this season essentially end. Uh, he he's I don't think he's going to be able to play this season, um, unless you know they figure out some DH thing for him. They already have another guy at DH. So, um, and Bryce Harper's coming back at some point. He's probably going to DH or play outfield, or exactly. Schwarber will take over. So yeah, they have a crowded situation there. Yeah, it'll be tough for Hoskins to come back. Um, so the thing is, he he was you know one of those guys who's like a fringe starting first baseman. Always liked him at the end of drafts, like for for like if you decide to wait on first base because he provides a lot of value as like the you know let's just say the twelfth picked first baseman. Right. Um, the interesting thing then to follow here is Derek Hall, who um, had a pretty decent debut last year. He was I think he hit a ton of homers yeah he had uh, a few multi-homer up. games too yeah exactly and so he'll be slotting in now pretty much at first base um and he might be a guy where you know again he's probably going to be in the same place that hoskins is going where he's not a top 10 first baseman but he's in that that next tier first baseman where it's like oh yeah he he might return some value as a starter um that that might be where uh managers need to keep an eye out now yeah, definitely keep an eye on Derek Hall. He's got five home runs in spring training so far. So he definitely could be a little sleeper at the end of your drafts to get some value there for first base. Mm-hmm. 
Moving on, we've got Rizella Glacius of the Braves. He's got low-grade shoulder inflammation. He won't be throwing for seven days and will begin the season on the IL. In the meantime, A.J. Minter or Joe Jimenez will likely be the closer, so keep an eye on those guys. Minter's a great guy for saves plus holds league, so he should already be rostered in that kind of format. But if it's just a saves league, I would lean A.J. Minter to take over for the time being for Iglesias. Yeah, I agree. Uh, He closed several games for them last year. And I don't yep. think there's a reason why they wouldn't let him do that again this year. Yeah, I agree. Brandon Hughes of the Cubs has a left knee injury, likely opening up more opportunities for Michael Fulmer or Brad Boxberger to get saves. If my money was on it, I would say Fulmer's probably the guy, but Brandon Hughes being their only lefty in the pen, kind of rough loss for the Cubs. Nico Horner of the Cubs was scratched from Thursday's spring training game with left biceps tightness. It's being called a preventative measure, so it doesn't seem to be a major concern. Brandon Nimmo of the Mets suffered low-grade sprains in his knee and ankle last Friday, but has played in a few games this week and seems to be okay. He should be good to go for opening day, which is surprising to me because when I saw the injury, I thought he was going to be out for a while, and the fact that he's playing already is fantastic. Carlos Rodon of the Yankees threw a bullpen session on Thursday. He threw 15 fastballs, not too much work, but it's good to see him ramping up from the left forearm strain. He could be back before the end of April. Jorge Polanco of the Twins is likely to start the season on the IL, leading to Nick Gordon or Kyle Farmer to play second base. Alex Kirilov of the Twins likely to start the season on the IL as well. Joey Gallo or Donovan Solano will likely play first base, while Trevor Larnick will play in left field. And then Johan Duran of the Twins took a comebacker in a minor league game earlier in the week. However, he did pitch in a game on Thursday, so it appears to be that he's okay, which is a breath of fresh air for Twins fans. But John, there's a lot of Twins injuries here. How are you feeling? Yeah, it's it's kind of tough. Uh, Kirilov is not surprising because he's coming back from wrist surgery Yep, and just never felt great. And you know, I'm fine with him waiting for a little bit to, to get him to heal. Um, Jorge Polanco, though, was the interesting one. He had some some left knee surgery i believe at the end of last season um and he basically just wasn't in game shape he didn't work out for essentially seven months and so that's been preventing him from ramping up this season and so he's going to be starting on the il he is one of those sneaky like um you know late second baseman that you could potentially pick up uh just because he had you know some value as a guy who can he can hit the ball with some pop um peel Peel projections had him at a 257 average, uh, 790 OPS. So, you know, a serviceable uh, starter for sure. Um, so it'll be weird with him uh, not playing. But the thing is, Nick Gordon was actually kind of a kind of a sleeper pick in a lot of drafts earlier in the, yeah. season, in the offseason. Then he sprained his ankle, and then a lot of people kind of went off the Nick Gordon train. However, he came back really quickly from that sprained ankle, and there's a good chance that he could be the opening day starter at second base, which is just only going to elevate his um, his uh, his placement in drafts. He was essentially the second best hitter on the Twins uh, in the second half of the season, and so if he's getting essentially everyday minutes or you know everyday innings in in the in the start of the season, um, I think I would expect Nick Gordon's stock to go up in drafts. Yeah, I like that call. He's definitely a sneaky option for those deeper leagues moving on to kyle tucker of the astros who sustained a minor right ankle sprain in the wbc but should be ready to go by opening day 
Hunter Brown of the Astros has some back tightness and hasn't resumed throwing yet. His opening day status is in question. Adam Wainwright of the Cardinals will start the season on the IL with a groin strain, which might have happened during a workout. The potential replacement here is Jake Woodford, which had some buzz at the end of last season as well, but I don't know if there's too much there to grasp at. Drew Pomerantz of the Padres is likely to start the season on the IL. Joe Musgrove of the Padres pitched a three-inning simulated game through nearly 50 pitches and should be on track to only miss about one start, which is great news. If you got in on him earlier, like I did in TGFBI, I'm going to keep gloating about that until he stinks. <laughs> Lucas Sims of the Reds will likely open the season on the IL due to back spasms. Luke Weaver of the Reds will likely open the season on the IL due to right forearm soreness. Brandon Marsh of the Phillies is day-to-day with a left finger injury. However, he did play in a Thursday spring training game, so he's probably all right. Steven Okert of the Marlins could start the season on the IL with an adductor issue. Ranger Suarez of the Phillies has left forearm inflammation. He had an MRI, which came back negative. He might start the season on the IL, and if he does, it opens up a spot in the rotation for Matt Strom. But we'll see what Ranger Suarez does in the next coming weeks. Michael Lorenzen of the Tigers has a mild left groin strain and will likely start the season on the IL. However, he's not expected to miss much time, so if you were looking for Lorenzen in deeper leagues, he should be back soon. James Paxton of the Red Sox is throwing bullpen sessions after dealing with a low-grade right hamstring strain. He should return soon as well. Michael Brantley of the Astros is likely to start the season on the IL. He's working his way back from shoulder surgery. And Bryce Harper of the Phillies, this is a cool bit of information, but... I think it's just semantics. I don't think there's much to see here, but the Phillies aren't planning on moving him to the 60-day IL, which opens up the possibility for him to come back sooner than June. However, no announced change in Harper's timetable yet, so still expect him to be back in mid-June or post-All-Star break. I think that this is just, like I said, a semantic move where they could put him on the 60-day IL, but they're just going to leave that spot open for now, and if they need to, they will move him there. But I don't think the timetable has sped up at all. Yeah, to me, this is super weird because if you move on to 60 DAL, you open up a spot in the 40 man. Right. And um, why wouldn't you do that if you know that he's not coming back within 60 days? Yeah, I agree. I don't know why they would do that. Yeah, to me, it it doesn't make any sense. But maybe they're just trying to, you know, be coy about their plans and, you know, whatnot. But to me, yeah, that that was a weird thing. Um, Going back to a couple other things you mentioned, though. We'll talk. We'll talk about this a little bit when we talk about who is option to AAA. But uh, for Adam Wainwright being out, um, the interesting thing is that the Cardinals sent down um, Matthew Libertor, who uh, did pitch for them last year, and it was kind of was one of their better pitching prospects. Um, he didn't really like impress too much, but it is surprising that they knew that Wainwright was getting injured and they still sent down uh, Libertor and uh, James Paxton being hurt. It's not that great. Uh, for the Boston rotation, because that rotation's already pretty atrocious. Um, But uh, I don't really know who would be coming up next for them, but I would say don't worry about it, because I I don't think it's going to be a very good pitcher that would be taking over Paxton's spot. Yeah, Paxton, I feel I haven't seen him pitch in five years at this point, so I don't know. I'm kind of worried about the Red Sox rotation as well, but yeah, great points on all those guys, and those are all the... MLB news that took place. And now we'll move on to transactions for people that were optioned to triple A from spring training. So we have Michael Soroka of the Braves, Matt Mervis of the Cubs, Cole Tucker of the Rockies, Nick Prado of the Royals, Francisco Alvarez of the Mets, Chase Silseth of the Angels, 
Luis Ortiz of the Pirates, Jake Cousins of the Brewers, Matthew Libertor of the Cardinals, as John mentioned, Dakota Hudson of the Cardinals, which is kind of a shock to me, yeah. Jordan Luplo of the Braves, Eli White of the Braves, Vaughn Grissom of the Braves, which is probably the biggest shock, which we'll get to in a second, Tuki Toussaint of the Guardians, Seth Beer of the Diamondbacks, and Brandon Fott of the Diamondbacks, which is another one that's kind of shocking, and we'll mm-hmm. get to that. I guess I'll lead off with that. Is Brandon Fott looked great, and I think he's going to be really good, but that means that Dre Jameson, who's another guy who is kind of hyped up, is likely mm-hmm. to be the fifth starter for the Diamondbacks, which is kind of exciting. I like both Jamison and Fott, so we'll see how well they do. That situation is interesting. And then the Vaughn Grissom one is just mind-boggling. He's my starting second baseman in TGFBI, so I'm kind of <laughs> screwed on that front. But the Braves yeah. apparently like Orlando Arcia and Ahir Adrianza a little bit better for shortstop to start the season, which is yeah. just mind-boggling to me. I don't understand it. I I don't either. I mean, he did play major league games with them last year. They and was great. like... I mean, they know what he's like. I, I don't know why they're like, oh, you know, we're going to send him down. Like, it, I I don't think this doesn't feel like a service time manipulation sort of thing, because I think his clock technically started last year. Um, but it's it, yeah, it just seems super weird. Um, I don't know why they're going this route. Um, yeah, it's mind boggling to me. Um, the Brandon Fott thing, which is also the interesting thing here, is that Drake Jamison was essentially in Brandon Fott's position last year. Yep. So, you know, it, it makes sense for the Diamondbacks to, you know, keep their young guys and just maybe the guys who are a little bit younger, they'll keep kind of marinating in, in the minor leagues. Um, and Dakota Hudson, who you mentioned, was kind of interesting. He was essentially the number three starter Yeah. for, for the Cardinals last year. And, yeah, he sent back the AAA. So um, some other interesting names, Luis Ortiz, kind of a fringe starter for the Pirates. A um, little surprising that he was sent down. And then Matt Mervis, it's just kind of unfortunate for him because the Cubs decided to sign like a bunch of veteran guys who could play first base. And so he essentially got pushed out of a job there. Uh, but just keep an eye out on him because he has a lot of promise. And more likely than not, you know, there's going to be some injuries to that Cubs team and, and Mervis is going to get called up. Yeah, so I think the names to watch out for on this list specifically, Soroka can obviously come back and be great. He was great at one point. Yep. Matt Mervis, if he gets called up at any point in time, he's an immediate pickup because he's phenomenal. Francisco mm-hmm. Alvarez, if he comes up and is anything like he should be, he's a top prospect, of course. I think Vaughn Grissom, of course, and then Brandon Fott. So all mm-hmm. of those five guys, I think, can really be difference makers for fantasy. And if they get called up at any point in time, you should probably scoop them up or stash them already. Yep. And then last but not least, two quick Notes, Jerickson Profar signed with the Colorado Rockies on a one-year $7.75 million contract. Really cool signing there. I like Profar late in drafts in deeper leagues now. He only has outfield eligibility, whereas in years past, he had multiple positions, like Mm -hmm. second base, which would have been very helpful. But he's an outfielder and on the Rockies, and he should be leading off and playing every day. So that's a pretty good situation to be in. And then Jason Hayward of the Dodgers will start the season on the opening day roster, which I just... Can't stand Jason Hayward. I drafted him in the fifth round in like 2015, and he was my biggest bust. And I just, every time I see his name, I just cringe a little bit. I'm sorry. I don't know why. I mean, maybe one real reason here is that the Dodgers surprisingly have a lack of depth on the defensive side this for this time around. Right. Um, it's kind of impressive how one guy getting hurt, Gavin Lux, just caused this chain reaction of just yep. they don't know what to do right now in the outfield. Um, they're literally trotting out guys who I've never heard of before. So um, 
that all being said, it makes sense why Jason Hayward has a spot on the team. Um, but it is weird because obviously he's not contributed in any sort of meaningful fantasy way. He's just going to be kind of a bench bat for them. And um, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe maybe it is the comeback. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, I won't buy it. <laughs> My hot take is actually Brian Reynolds, right before uh-huh. the season starts, gets yep. traded to either the Yankees yep. or the Dodgers. It just seems like the most obvious thing, right? Like, I'm surprised he hasn't been moved yet. Me too. Me too. I completely agree. But I think those are the two teams that could give a package. Like, if Volpe's ready for the Yankees and Mm -hmm. he's going to be on the team, they might move Oswald Peraza in a package to the Pirates for Brian Mm -hmm. Reynolds. I think that makes extreme sense. And then same with the Dodgers. I think they have a lot of prospects that are promising that they could send over to the Pirates for Brian Reynolds. And it just fits perfectly for both teams. Yeah, I mean, like Diego Cartaya is like kind of the easy pick because yep. they already have Will Smith there. But the other thing too is that the Pirates do have um, uh, the Vanderbilt catcher that they drafted in the first round, but right. he, he hasn't been like Henry Davis. Believe. Yeah, Henry Davis. Um, he hasn't necessarily shocked the world there, and so may, maybe there is maybe there is a trade that you can't have enough good catchers, in my opinion. So yeah, I could see a Diego Cartaya Ryan Pepio sort of deal go through. Mm, I don't yeah. know. I just send in some darts out, but that's my hot take. And if I'm right, I get to. Go back on that. And if I'm wrong, you'll all forget about it. So it's all yeah, okay. It's a hot take. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that wraps up the show today. Hopefully you all enjoyed. Before you go, make sure that you follow us on Twitter at ThisWeekPL and send us your comments and questions to our email at ThisWeekPLPod at gmail.com. You can find John on Twitter at TheJohnKa. That's T-H-E-J-O-H-N-K-E. And myself on Twitter at Regicidal, that's R-E-G-I-C-I-D-A-L. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the Pitcherless Podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you listen to your podcasts on, and leave us a five-star review if you enjoyed the show. Lastly, sign up for Pitcherless Plus. By doing so, you could join us in the Pitcherless Discord and get advice from all of the fantasy experts and writers over there. But that's all for this week. We'll be back next week with another episode of This Week in Fantasy Baseball. For John, I'm Lee, and we'll see you in the next one. Later, everyone. Later, everyone.